wait, hold up. We've done this before. Let's try something new. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today is December 14th, 2020. My name is Bill. I'm joined here today with Steve. Hello. What's going on, man? Not much. Um, you know, weather has shockingly been great for a little while. Yeah. Very weird. What's even weirder is that we're only 11 days away from Christmas. Yeah. You know what really sucks about that? What? My birthday. Yeah. After this birthday, it's just the countdown to the big three zero. <laughs> like every day that I've been leading up to this birthday, I'm like, well, at least I'm not turning 30, you know, because there's just something about that age. Yeah, exactly. Now, after this, it's like 364, 363. <laughs> like it's just, it's like getting closer. It's just like a, a, every day you're just on an inevitable march to the end. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I still go get cigarettes and I get carded and the guy gives me that look like, you know, like when you've been carded as a kid and they have that look like this kid doesn't have and yeah. then I hand him my ID, and most people look at it for a second, look at me, and look back at it. Like, wow. <laughs> Never would have guessed. Like, I feel like this is what Tony Iommi probably looked like at age seven. Probably. Like, guys back then looked like they were in their full blown 30s. And <laughs> Isn't it kind of funny, like, when you look at that shit? Oh, you yeah. Look, like, you look at pictures of your parents and shit. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, I looked at a Mutton picture chops of like, at yeah. 17, you know? I saw a picture of my parents at 23 and 24. My dad looked older than me. Oh, yeah. And I'm 28. And I'm yeah. like, like, what the fuck is, like, what's up with this right now? My dad now? probably could have walked in a liquor store today at the age of 13 when he was 13, bought beer, no problem. Exactly. I can't even buy a pack of cigarettes. Dude, it's so weird. Like, it's just like, like an evolutionary thing. Like, that. Like, like we're deep, like, I wouldn't even say like devolving because people are looking younger longer. I so guess. it's kind of like an evolution of the wear and tear people are putting on their jeans, I guess, in some this is this is a study for the higher authorities in life. Yeah, this so is this is that, an interesting trend that I can see. Like I was watching, we like, gotta some, look this up. I was watching some like Led Zeppelin video, and like John Bottom was like twenty. And if you would have said oh, how yeah. old he is at this point, like thirty five, motherfucker had like a full beard, and full shit. mustache, dude. <laughs> like like real long side. Like come on, you're not twenty, dude. Shut up. Yeah, like even like you know you look at like. Uh, like the old Van Halen videos, and you see David Lee Roth playing at like the Whiskey A Go Go and shit in '78. And I think they were only like 22 or 23 years old. Yeah. It's just like what the fuck? Yeah, like that. There's no way he was only 22. It's very weird. It's like he was. There's something we need to find out. Yeah, that there's What's a secret. Happened? Yeah, there's a secret to something. We got to figure this out. Yeah, something's happened in the last like 20 years. Maybe we should start another podcast to kind of dive in deep into this kind of thing. Our American people. The Devolution Podcast. Has society devolved? That's a good idea. What do you think? Very simple. Social media. God. So, uh, <laughs> have you encountered anything new or interesting in the past I week? I encountered something interesting. Um, really new as well. Uh, yeah. I was going to mention this actually last week, but we talked about other things. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins released a new album. Yeah. And in typical Smashing Pumpkins form... The album is 20 songs running at an hour and 12 minutes. Awesome. Uh, the album is called, and I don't even know because I never heard actually anyone say it. It's CYR in all capitals. I don't know if that's supposed to say something. because it's Sir? I'm Sir, Sir. Um, Sire? Sire, maybe. They have a song, a title track called CYR. I'm pretty sure it's like Sire. I just wasn't really paying attention most of the album. It's strange. Um, but I gave it a quick listen. Just so that way I could like hear what, you know, kind of direction Smashing Pumpkins is headed in lately. And it's typical Smashing Pumpkins fashion, very electronic, very not, um, you know, Siamese dream. Kind of like, I, I just don't like what Smashing Pumpkins has done recently. I think the music's still like listenable to a point. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the electronic stuff doesn't do it for me. 
like when Smashing Pumpkins gets real, like their greatest hits, Rotten Apples, whatever it was called, like they had all the songs in there from most of their albums up through the 80s and then the early, you know, mid 90s. And what they've done recently, even the last few albums before this one, it was kind of a direction that I was hope was going to just kind of write itself, but it's really where they're headed at this point. So in my opinion, I mean, it's Smashing Pumpkins all the way through. I can say that still has the same vibes. Um, but the album itself, it's just not my thing, man. It's just not my thing. I, I was listening to everything you're saying, but I was like trying to like look into and see, see if what it was C- pronounced. S-Y-R or C-Y-R means. All right, make a note real quick. That I'm on the Wikipedia for the for the single and for the album. There's no talk of what it is, what it means. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely Smashing Pumpkins, and I'll give it that. You know, Billy Corgan still sounds decent, especially for his age and that vocal style. Most people can't keep that shit up. Oh, yeah. Like, that's really difficult. Yeah, and, like, his vocal styling. Yeah, like the, very unique. Yeah, it's Like, you unique. know his voice. Exactly. There's a few artists, and actually not, there's probably more than a few, if you really think about it, where you hear the vocal and, like, you just know who it is right away. And Billy I can Corgan think of is, a couple. That's yeah. what I'm saying. There's quite a few, but then there's also, a, like... Like, for instance, like the hair metal scene, if you're not familiar with it. Exactly. They all kind of blend together. They kind of put Corgan like on the same like kind of like level as like like uh, Maynard James Keenan, like that, like iconic sounding. Yeah, like Robert Plant has a voice that you just know it's him. Yeah. Yeah. David Lee Roth. Exactly. Like these dudes just don't sound like anybody else. Vince Neil, especially not in the recent days, because that shit's just. (laughs) How funny was that fucking meme I sent you? Yeah, that sounds like my uh, (laughs) two year old nephew when he's having a tantrum. Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) It's really bad. (laughs) It's horrible. So, in the past week, I have taken a trip like back in time. To, like, high school. And I started listening to, like, Bloodhound Gang again. I, for some reason that I don't understand why, got into Gorillas again. Well, explain the revelation you had about Gorillas. Well, that it's a side project from the dude from Blur. Yep. And then after you know listening, funny? I was like, you know what? Did you realize, like, yeah, after you knew that, and then you heard his voice again? Yeah, I was like, like, wow, dude. Like, I how did I... my head straight. Yeah. You're like, what? That is. <laughs> Oh, it's just so funny because, you know, it's just one of those things like I never really dug into gorillas ever other than what you heard. Yeah, like obviously like everyone knows Clint Eastwood and everyone knows fucking feel Feel good, good. you know, dirty Harry to an extent. But, you know, I started diving into their catalog a little bit and uh, I'm actually surprised I didn't get into them like sooner. Yeah. You know, or like dove deeper. Yeah, but that's also too. You know, in like previous episode where we talk about certain things that you've heard, like Nirvana, when I brought that up, like Smells Like yeah. Tea Spirit was just forced down my fucking earwaves to the point mm-hmm. where I almost didn't want to give it a chance on principle. Exactly. Gorillaz was the same way. And Gorillaz for me, I found out that it was the singer from Blur, I want to say several years ago, and that didn't even like really push the envelope. It yeah. wasn't until someone was playing a Gorilla song from like a different album that I wasn't familiar with that had all the hits on it. Yeah. And I had to ask him like, cause I heard the vocals. I was like, yo, what is this? And I knew that it was a dude from blur. It's very, you know, unique sound now yeah. that I can put to another voice. Like, oh, this is gorillas. And I'm like, Oh shit. And then because I heard a totally different song that was not overplayed to a point exactly. of disgust, I was like, all right, I have to check out more. And went that direction. You know, it's also kind of funny too with gorillas. I'm surprised they never did like the whole like metalocalypse route. Well, because they almost didn't want to go too satirical. I think that was the thing. Gorillaz was like a sincere project. Yeah, but I mean, like, even like after the success of like Feel Good Inc. Well, I don't really want to. What do you mean, like touring wise, you're saying? No, no, I mean like having like a TV show. Ah. You know what I mean? Because they do the whole touring thing and they have like the video shit in the background and. You know, back in the 2000s, they had the fucking computer-generated shit going on. Like, I think we all remember, like, the 2004 um, MTV Music Music Video Awards, where they did, I think, Clint Eastwood, and it was, like, fucking, you know, like the 3D images yeah. and shit. Like, I remember seeing that shit and be like, whoa. I think the thing about that is, though, with, like, you say a TV show, because the thing about Death Clock is, when you talk about Metalocalypse, the first thing I think of is, like, a satire band. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
for me, because I'm a fan of the genre and I know the members of the band, it makes it that much more appreciative. But I guarantee you there's a lot of people that can write them off for the sake of like, you know, same thing with Spinal Tap. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people listen to Spinal Tap or even like Steel Panther because they're listening to a satire. It's like a more of a comedic thing as opposed to like, I'm really listening to how talented these people are. Mm -hmm. And I'm really like enjoying the music. Gorillaz is like kind of in that same realm because of the, you know, virtual act they do and the characters and stuff. But they still like, it was a sincere project. I think they just didn't want to be, and also the dude from Blur. Let's, Let's be real here. I mean, he's not, I kind of put him up there with like Oasis in terms of like, you know, personality. Yeah, they're just very, he's a very, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean. Like, though, you know that whole song, song number, what was it, four? Uh, song two. Song two, whatever. Yeah. That whole song was supposed to be a joke on, like, the grind. Like, he's just a very. Satirical guy. Like, but ego. Like, there's an ego there. Oh, yeah. So, you know, with Gorillas, it was just, and you also think when the time it came out, Death Clock was not a thing. So no. you have to really understand that this was like a sincere thing to a point where obviously it didn't want to get blown out of proportion. So I wonder if Gorillas was kind of like an influence for Brendan Small to do Metalocalypse because it had kind of already had been done to an extent. It could have been. Because there is backstories to all those characters. Like if you go on Wikipedia and you can read the backstories of all the yeah, characters. Yeah, you can like do the 2D, same thing. Noodle, like Gwar, Gwar has the same thing. Exactly. But it's just not animate, you know, animated. Exactly. And that's the difference. And not the time Gorillas so, just got the opportunity where that was starting to become very popular. I would like to ask Brendan Small that. That'd like, be interesting. Like, just like, like, a, hey, like, don't take this the wrong way, because I don't feel like you guys are comparable to the gorillas by any stretch of the imagination, but did you use them as an influence? Like, at least in like, the did character that even, like, development. Like, strike your mind to, like, wow, we could do something similar exactly. to this and make it more. Because, dude, Brennan Small wasn't doing music before then. Like, he, he went to fucking, like, uh, he went to Berkeley or some shit. He went to like a musician's college. So like, obviously he's like a trained musician and yeah. music has been a part of his life, but he was a cartoon maker. He made home movies that, that show home movies. Yeah. Yeah. And Metalocalypse just happened out of nowhere. So I guess in like my train of thought, it would be like by the time Metalocalypse came out would have been right around the time that Demon Days came out from the gorillas. So they would have been blowing up. Yeah. And Around that time is when gorillas had their own episode of fucking MTV Cribs. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. You know what? That's kind of, that's funny. I wish they'd bring back MTV Cribs and have Death Clock tour Mordhouse. That would be pretty dumb. That'd be hilarious. I'm surprised. That, yeah, that show pretty much died right around the time that Metalocalypse was becoming popular. Yeah. Because I'm sure that, actually, would that have been a show? Would they have crossed networks like that? I think they could have. Okay. I think Metalocalypse definitely could have crossed. Because you think about it, dude, MTV was playing Beavis and They probably would have played, yeah. I was going to say, they probably would have played Death Clock stuff on there. Yeah. If it had remained a relevant network. And plus, at this music. point, MTV could probably pick it up now because Cartoon Network don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, but MTV sucks, dude. Yeah, but this could be like the revival of MTV. My sister saw a post where it was literally 16 and pregnant reaching out as like a fucking flyer. Like, are you pregnant or Nuh-uh. think you're pregnant? Get and the are, fuck out of here. And you look... Around the age 16. Dude. Look. You know how many girls are out there probably like, Mom, I need to get pregnant somehow. We can make some money from this show. That's fucked up. Like, like a straight flyer, like for Maury. Do you know a friend or yourself that's involved in blah, blah, blah? It was literally. That's like, fucked up. Yeah, dude. Fuck MTV. I'm going all in. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm about that. Fuck so, MTV. Fuck Rolling Stone. Fuck MTV. Yeah, those are the two to start. I'm sure we'll find more down the line as we continue the show where I have a sincere distaste. Wow. All right. Well, we got way off topic here. Yeah, we did. But um, <laughs> Just brought up just old relevant information about a network. <laughs> but yeah, the gorillas, I got into them recently again. And um, another thing you showed me was a tool video, a live video of them playing Stranglehold by 10 News. Yeah, I had recently, that was weird. Thank you. I got off Facebook for the sincere fact that I was sick of just in, like engaging with individuals. I just wanted to see meme content without all the bullshit surrounding it <laughs> and all the people. Like your feed is just dictated by who you follow and who you know. Exactly. So Instagram was a fresh start. So I just follow all meme pages, music pages. It makes it so much easier. But yeah, this thing got posted and the song was going. And I was like, this is cool. Cool. Okay. I never heard this song before. And then I'm like, Wait a minute. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I showed you. Familiar. There's a full seven-minute live yeah. clip 
audio wise of them covering Stranglehold with different lyrical content and very tool esque, I guess you could say, in terms of the instrumentals. They're definitely a band. Tool, I, I've always liked Tool, but they're a band that can cover a song and have it be, you know, uh, pay tribute and respect to the original. Yeah. But have it still sound like a Tool song. Yeah, yeah. Like that, like that's incredible. They don't just go out there and give you the same version of a song you've heard a million times. Exactly. Just from that artist. Like, like I, I saw, um, it was. Gavin Rosdale and I forget who else was covering Wood by Alice. Oh, the Chains. dude from Breaking Benjamin was the other Yeah, side. that was it. And I was just like listening to it, and that was basically what it was. Just the song. Like what did, how did you feel? Do you feel like they did a good job on that? I, I think, think they, they did, did exactly what the song was. You know what I mean? Yeah, they that's did. what I mean. There's a difference between covering a song and there's a difference between taking a song and making it yours and having it be tasteful. Exactly. Like another cover when we talked about this in a previous episode, like the Black Diamond cover by the replacements. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a fucking replacement song. Yeah. You know, Painkiller by Death, we talked about. It, it sounds like a death song. Like mm-hmm. you can make these songs feasible. But like I said, I think more so when we talked about that and we're talking about the tool cover. The Gavin Rosdale and the Breaking Benjamin thing, the whole setup, it was more like a paying homage as opposed to taking the song and actually taking the time to like really yeah. you know, try to manipulate it to fit a certain... Because it wasn't like Bush covering it. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know who I feel like kind of like fell into that that territory right there is when Pantera covered Cat Scratch Fever. Yeah. Like it was like sort of Pantera-esque. Yeah. But it was still like... Almost a carbon. You still copy got of the, the Nugent song. cover, yeah. You still got the exactly, feel, yeah. I mean, like I, I don't know. It, it like gave like the Pantera flair, but it was like there was no questioning. Like yeah. from the second it started, it was a Ted Nugent cover. And that's the thing; it all depends on who's covering the song too, because mm-hmm. genre fit. And I think that's the interesting about Tool, because the only other cover that I'm really familiar with outside of that one I recently found is on the uh, Salaval, um kind of live set CD mashup compilation that they did they covered no quarter by led zeppelin yeah you wouldn't think tool would cover fucking led zeppelin it's just how would that make sense you know just their music genre and they do a phenomenal job of it it's actually one of the reasons why it's not on streaming platforms is like the story behind that is is because apparently like there's no they they just can't put something out that in the public platform because of led zeppelin's rights with that song and i I think there's issues behind that cover and stuff um but again it's like that cover is like the perfect example of what makes a decent song because I didn't even know what the fuck it was being a cover. I just thought it was a tool song for a moment until obviously the vocal pattern became very exactly. parallel. I was like, I know this. Yeah, exactly. You know? It didn't immediately start with yeah, like the, your typical yeah, like that. But then once you exactly, you start to hear it. But it's even strange too because he kept the same melody and like the same pattern, but it was too like a. Tool beat. The riff, like, yeah, know, the riff like was even changed groove. a little bit. Yeah, Danny Carey's drumming was very. It's surprising like how it was able it. to fit. Yeah, <laughs> it is very good. Recommend a cover. Absolutely, I live version of it, it too, so it's even more intimate. I guess you could say. I'm pretty sure if you just go on YouTube and type in "Tool Stranglehold," it's the first, first thing video. that pops up. Yep. Yeah, go check it out. Yep. On this day in music history. On this day in music history, December 14th, 1968, Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine hits number one in the U.S. where it stays for seven weeks. Boom. Ironic. Another cover by Creedence Clearwater. Yeah. Of which I actually heard the cover as a kid on the radio before the Marvin Gaye original. Same thing for me. And that's another one where it's like, that could be totally be a Creedence song. Yeah. Like, that's a phenomenal cover. I remember being in the car with my grandfather, and the Creedence, you know, uh, the Marvin Gaye one came on. I was like, I was like, who, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. I said, this is, I said, this, <laughs> I this is horrible. It's so much different. And my grandfather was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. This yeah. is the original. <laughs> I know. They- and I was just like, oh my God. Shit. <laughs> and that was kind of like where the whole like music thing started happening. There's the conspiracy too. When I bring up CCR, me and my friend were talking about this, that if it wasn't for Vietnam, Creedence wouldn't be popular. <laughs> Vietnam made Greetings popular. Uh, I mean, true. <laughs> You're fortunate, son. You know it's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so great. Uh, jump up forward here to 1974. Sticks release Lady. Written and sung by the band's uh, keyboardist, uh, Dennis D. Young, as a tribute to his wife, Suzanne. 
Peaking at number six, it's the group's first top 10 single on the Hot 100. Which is weird because I'm thinking of like the other songs that I, I mean, because Sticks is just not one of those real enjoyable bands to me. They just have a few songs that just yeah. like dab rock that, you know, I can get like behind. Renegade and shit like that. Yeah. Get too much time on my hands. Uh, mm-hmm. Come sail away. I think uh, Adam Sandler is really the driving force behind that. <laughs> Um, but he, you know, Sticks in general, it's just interesting that Lady is the only one that they really had peak in the top 10. Yeah, that is strange. It's very weird. Well, I, I think like Sticks golden era started happening in like the 80s too, like with yeah. the introduction of Tommy Shaw. Yeah, true. Like that's where like all like their, like the bigger shit started coming out. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. 1977, at the peak of the disco era, the film Saturday Night Fever opens in theaters. The soundtrack contains two previous number one hits and four new ones. Funny enough, I I feel like no matter what gets brought up, Van Halen can always find its way into everything. But like... So they're like the Simpsons of music? Pretty much. Like, this December 14th in 77, this happened. Van Halen 1 came out February 28th of 78. Mm Mm-hmm. There was still number one hits from this album <laughs> when fucking Van Halen one came Holy out. Shit, dude. I believe it was. I think it was Saturday Night Fever. The, the actual song. Okay, was number the title one track. Really, was number one year later when Van Halen one came out. We well, think it's only two months, three months. Oh well, yeah, the following year, but yeah, it's yeah, December. Okay, fucking yeah, Night Fever. That's funny. Night Fever by the Bee Gees was number one the week Van Halen one came out. Dude, people love the Bee Gees, man. Dude, I, you can't deny they, the Bee you Gees. Can't, you can't deny it. And I can, you really can't. I, I can fuck with the Bee Gees. I mean, exactly. they wouldn't have any number one hit tracks today, but back then, <laughs> that was the fucking shit. And I, yeah. Yeah, they're just, they're like, um, they're like the Beach Boys to me, you know? Like, just, I can't hate them, I can't love them, you know? They're just like, all right, it's like, good listening. Like Pringles, once you pop the fun, exactly, don't stop. Yes. Exactly, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't hate the Bee Gees. If, yeah, you can't. Like, there's nothing bad you could really say about it. Yeah, if them. Staying Alive comes on randomly. You're not turning it off. I'm not turning it off. <laughs> and you'll find yourself singing to it. It doesn't yeah. matter who you are. In that high-pitched voice, too. Yeah. You're going to try and mimic it. <laughs> You're not even going to try to make it your own. You're going to go balls out and try to totally copyright that voice. <laughs> <laughs> A year later, in 1978, our biggest fan here, Billy Joel, plays Madison Square Garden for the first time, which growing up he considered a quote-unquote temple. He later becomes the first musical act to hold residency at the Garden. Friend of the podcast, Billy Joel. Big friend of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of cool. I mean, it is kind of a milestone for his career. I mean, I can't really take it from the guy. He, he is who he is. I mean, he is an asshole, but... He made the stranger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean... He wrote Piano Man. <laughs> Like, we talk a lot of shit, but, you know, like, the, if this were, like, yeah, I don't know. Well, this is the same thing. It's with a big deal. His music, I'm not a huge fan of, right? Yeah. There are a few songs, the same thing. I heard them as a nostalgic thing. And the same way when I talk about artists, like, regardless of their personal shit, if I like their music, I'm going to say I like their music. I'm not going to stop listening to something because of the person and who they are, because I just exactly. can't deny music in that way. Billy Joel, for instance, his music is not good enough for me to even respect it to a point, but it's just... I think the thing that sucks about Billy Joel is, is that he just wasn't an asshole like in his personal life. Like, he was asshole to people that got him to where he is. Exactly. Like it's just a lot of shit went down with the people that, you know, you don't have that backing group. You exactly. ain't no fucking, you know, Freddie Mercury out there. Your voice is a step up of Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan. Dude. At best. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> but yeah, uh, friend of the podcast, Billy Joel. Shout out, Billy Joel. <laughs> uh, 1980. At Yoko Ono's request, a 10-minute worldwide silent vigil takes place at 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time for John Lennon, who was shot and killed six days earlier. Lennon was cremated without a funeral, so the vigil is the public uh, outpouring of support and mourning. A large crowd gathers in Central Park near where Lennon lived with uh, Yoko Ono to take part. This becomes a tradition on each anniversary of Lennon's death. Yeah. Um, I mean, say what you want. We always talk shit on the Beatles. Um, but it's one of those things where you can't really deny what they did for music. Exactly. I think John Lennon, I mean, he's just one of those figures and obviously people growing up in that time. I mean, that was the, I, 
that was like the same level of like Kurt Cobain when he was found dead. For exactly. That scene, if you were in your prime and you were, you know, a huge fan of that band. And obviously the way he died is just one of those circumstances as well where, you know, like the next individual we're about to speak of is just one of those sad, sad realities in music yep. where how quickly like, you know, one of your favorite artists can get taken away. Exactly. So why don't you lead us into that one, Steve? So 2004, the funeral for Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl takes place in Arlington, Texas. Uh, you want to finish that sentence, Bill? Well, no, I'll let, I'll let you finish it, then <laughs> I'll right, elaborate. Eddie, Eddie Van Halen placed his original black and yellow striped guitar into his Kiss casket, casket with a K, Daryl was buried in. So, what had happened was, Eddie Van Halen had met up with uh, Dime Vinny at some point during a Van Halen tour. And Dime said something along the lines of, like, I want to buy one of your like signature series guitars that he had put that he was putting out at that point in time with Charvel. Eddie took a custom order from him to do a black and yellow one striped exactly like the one that was on Van Halen too. Mm-hmm. Now at this point in time, Eddie didn't have the time to build, you know, to make this guitar for him and to ship it out cause he had died. So when the time came, you know, Eddie Van Halen had heard about the, about his death and he flew down to Arlington, Texas with the original guitar from Van Halen 2. Oh, wow. Like like the one that's on the cover of that album. He put it in the casket with him because he said, in quotes, Dime was an original and an original deserves an original. That's awesome. It buried him with the fucking like legit fucking guitar. That's that's awesome. It's actually the only. So when we wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, because like him and Vinny are in the same plot, right? Mm hmm. So you're telling me right now, in that plot, that guitar is underneath the soil. Yes. How is nobody even... A, uh, sure, people have attempted to fucking grave rob that shit, right? Maybe there's just too much respect. I really hope that there is. I mean, because there's circumstances you hear all the time about real fucked up desecration of certain situations. But knowing that, I mean... I guess what actually would hopefully make sense that if it ever came to that point that anybody trying to actually sell that thing as the original, knowing the story behind it, would exactly. have to know that you're the fucking asshole who... Grave robbed. Yeah. Exactly. Dime bag. Well, that and they would have to, you know, dig up... First off, they had to dig down to the casket, open the casket. I think they we placed, give it a play-by-play like, of the grave robbery here? Yeah, how it would have to happen. Okay, okay. So I'm pretty sure there was like 50 bottles of Crown Royal in the casket with Oh, so you gotta get through that. You have to get through the dirt, get through the casket, get through the Crown Royal, and then get the guitar. Oh, okay. But I'm guessing by this point in time, we're talking 16 years, it's probably nasty. Yeah, the body decomposed, the guitar is probably sunk into the body. Yeah. Those pickups are shot, dude. Yeah, yeah, that, that... that hardware? It wouldn't surprise me if the paint had actually been stripped off from the methane that the body would Has produce as yeah. it's decomposing. And how do you even get that fixed? How does someone like clear out embalming fluid from a... Uh, Ugh. Yeah. It probably stinks. Bad, yeah. Like, even if you got it out and like, yeah, I got the Van Halen 2 guitar, you would have this overwhelming death stench. There's a necrophiliac listening to our podcast right now that's totally masturbating to this conversation. I'm sure of it. I've seen way too many episodes of, you know, like fucking house and all these like medical shows. Possibilities (laughs) are endless. But yeah. And the other thing too, with this funeral, it's the only picture you'll ever find of Zach Wilde with Eddie Van Halen. Really? And it's a If you look it up on your phone, it's a famous picture of them like bumping their fucking, uh, bumping their forearms together. It's very weird. Yeah. If you just type in Eddie Van Halen, Zach Wilde, you'll see it. It's at, the dime it's at dime's funeral it's the only picture you'll ever see of eddie van halen and zach wilde together speaking of zach wilde to kind of seamlessly roll this into our main topic zach wilde obviously famously known for being the guitar player in the ozzy osbourne band and you know performing on such albums as no rest for the wicked no more tears osmosis and black rain at a certain point in Zach Wilde's career, he had branched off of Ozzy, still remaining in the band. He went on to produce two new bands of his own, Pride and Glory, and of course, the almighty Black Label Society. To kind of bring this into context here, I want to talk about, you know, also to kind of tie in gorillas, bands that, you know, uh, 
that have reached a certain level of success who have certain members that went on to produce side projects. Not not in particular like solo acts, like you know, like not like oh well David Lee Roth Yeah, like ran a group project simultaneously while still exactly. being members of their so, prominent bands. I think to kind of start this off, I want to talk about fucking Black Label Society. That I mean, sense. you know, at this point in time, I think Black Label Society came out in like 97 or whatever. So Osmosis was happening mm-hmm. and, you know, he was writing and recording that. And then he started Black Label Society as well. Which was a very interesting move by him considering the success and the wing he was under with Ozzy. Exactly. That he had... I don't even know, like the foresight, I guess, to understand that he had the credibility behind him to already have his own solo career almost or his own side project career, I should say. It was a ballsy move. It was a ballsy move because like, again, I mean, Zach Wilde at the time, he's now one of those like household names of guitarists and Black Label Society. When you hear that band name, that's the first thing you think about. The guy with the beard and the fucking bullseye guitar. Bullseye guitar, yeah. And it's interesting because... Again, the amount of talent that Ozzy had in his regime of, you know... Musicians? You know, yeah, with the, every album. I mean, he's just had so many different great guitarists, just great, you know, musicians surrounding him that, you know, he went to those lengths to start his own project while simultaneously where, I mean, he was really at this point peaking with Ozzy. Yeah, exactly. Well, at the end of the Osmosis run, he was, he exited... Ozzy's band. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just kind of interesting. Well, it's actually funny. The reason he left, he was, I guess he was kind of like asked to leave because Guns N' Roses was reforming and little known fact, Zach Wilde was supposed to be in the new reformed Guns N' Roses. What, like that whole Chinese democracy stuff or are we like, talking? We're talking Slash stuff, Axel. Like apparently in the 90s, there was supposed to be a revival of Guns N' Roses and Zach mm. Wilde was supposed to be in it. What was Izzy Stradlin, I'm guessing, not going to be there? Nope. Okay. Izzy or um, fucking... Uh, Our friend Steven. Yeah, Steven wasn't in there. <laughs> Good Steven Adler. But yeah, so that's kind of why Black Label Society took off further than what it did. Because Pride and Glory had been out in like 1994. Yeah. So, you know, at this point... 94, they're still riding on the success of No More Tears, which was a fucking massive album. Of course. It still continues to be like one of the peaks in Ozzy's solar career. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Black Little Society's better than anything Ozzy ever did. That's not even close. However, it is better than Osmosis. It's not better than No More what? Tears. Diary <laughs> Madman. Diary Madman. Blizzard. Bark, even. Bark. Uh, yeah, Ozzy's like, yeah, Never we're not even gonna, this isn't even a debate. Pretty much anything besides, yeah, this, is, yeah, this isn't even a debate at this point. <laughs> anything pre osmosis, yeah, yeah, Black yeah. Little Society yeah, can't yeah, yeah, touch, yeah, yeah. but anything post Black Little Society stomps it all day long. Okay, even Black Rain, like Black Rain, you know, this is that was the first album back with Zach, and it still had like the black Lobo society type sound because like, that's just who he was at that point. Like he had been doing black Lobo society, I think for like 12 years when he had come back to Ozzy's band, 10, 10 years, 10 years. So, you know, he's like already, he like already like kind of like formed who he was. And I feel like it was actually a negative thing that that happened because, uh, you, if you go from listening to, you know, No More Tears and Osmosis, and then you go to Black Rain, you kind of hear the guitar, and you're like, what the fuck is this? And it's like, it's Zach Wilde. Yeah. You know, now muddied with effects and super down-tuned and all that other bullshit. But, you know, Zach still has a soft spot in my heart. I love Zach. Yeah. I want to add, not featured on the 100 Greatest Guitar Player list of all time. Which is weird. But Johnny Ramone was. Johnny Ramone is a stud according to that list because anything in the top 30 should be considered near flawless. He's a fucking thoroughbred, fucking badass, purebred guitar player. Johnny Ramone. Johnny Ramone. <laughs> Take him any day. Any day. <laughs> I still, that'll never. I I remember after... I just got to... Before we get into the one I was going to talk about, I just... That day we recorded that, mm. I left here and... I think I was having a conversation and it just got brought up out of nowhere. I'm like, did you fucking know that Johnny Ramone, like I had this huge, cause it was just stirring in me because I'm such, I'm a Ramones fan. 
I like the Ramones. Yeah, but I'm, you're also a Buckingham fan. I'm a Buckingham fan. <laughs> I'm a Mark Knopfler fan. Like, there's a whole different level when I say, okay, you're a good guitarist. And I'm really, to this day, I'm never going to let down the fact that I need some fucking context behind that Rolling Stones issue because, exactly. again, you can't say greatest guitarist and put somebody <laughs> up there like Johnny Ramone and say, this dude would outshred Buckingham. Buckingham would outshred Ramone with his fucking fingernails, dude. Blind. Yeah. I mean, if you ever if watched any live videos of Led Zeppelin, or not Led Zeppelin, of Fleetwood Mac from the 70s, yep. and you see Buckingham fucking play solos, because you don't really hear him on the album. No. There's not many as much leads as what he does when he actually plays these songs live. Yeah, but even the leads aren't the crazy part with Buckingham. It's the it's the actual riffs, the riffs. and the oh, melodies. Oh, yeah, dude. What like he that, writes, that's where he shines. Yeah, but the fact that he can even shred the way he does, and in that time frame, you want to talk about context? What Fleetwood <laughs> Mac was doing as a fucking guitarist? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fuck Johnny Ramone. That's still, I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> I'm just never going to be okay with that. Moving on. Uh, the one I wanted to talk about is actually, I don't. I think we've mentioned this band semi-briefly about uh, side projects, and this was actually a controversial one as well, was Control Denied with Chuck Schuldner. Oh, yeah. Um, big backstory with that was Chuck Schuldner had a contract left with the record label to release one more album, of which was Sound of Perseverance, before he passed away. Before that album was released, he formed this band with actually two former members as well as Death, Steve DiGiorgio, who played bass, and Richard Christie, who was currently playing drums for Death. Um, he just died. Who? Richard Christie? Oh, really? Yeah, he like died. how recent? Like this year. Oh wow! I'm pretty sure you can look that up. Nah, he's alive, bud. Or who was the one that toured on Sound of Perseverance? You're thinking of um, the drummer from Cynic. Yeah, I'm trying to think of his name, Sean Reinert. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, Reinert. he yeah he died January. Yeah, he was on Human. Oh, he was on Human. He was before Gene, and then Christie came after. Well. Because I saw a live video, dude, of him playing Symbolic. So he must have toured with him for a period of time before Christy came in. Yeah. Okay. I, I get, yeah, because that's, he did that's that all, I'm confused He then. did that all the time because Steve DiGiorgio also left for a period of time and then he came back later. I don't even think Steve DiGiorgio was on with Sound of Perseverance. Okay, well, yeah, that that's that was a confusion on my part because I saw that video. Yeah, he wasn't. Scott Clendenin or whatever, so he brought Steve DiGiorgio back. Yeah, Steve Giorgio is actually on the demos for Sound of Perseverance. Oh, shit. Which is weird. Okay, so we'll come back here. So, yeah, Sean Reiner. Is My apologies. Yeah, he was on, uh, <laughs> on Human also. Yeah, he was a member from Cynic. Very good drummer, too. Yeah. January, it said, by the way. Yep. So, yeah, you're all right. Fairly recent. Like I said, it was just a confusion because I saw him playing the actual... I saw him playing Zero Tolerance. Yeah, me and you both know Chuck well enough that he just kind of fucking... Like, if you didn't make the cut, you could be your best friend you're done. ever. You're done. You're gone. You're smoked. Yeah, you can't be. Yeah. Like, dude. Like, he'll give you another shot, but you got, like, one opportunity every time. Like, dude, like, why would you get rid of Gene Hoagland? Yeah. I mean, Richard Christie, it's just interesting because he's a big, you know, he's a member of the Howard Stern Show, which I found out fairly recently. I did not realize he was a member of that. Somebody actually said to me, like, Richard Christie's a drummer of death? And yeah. I'm like, like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, he's like. He's from Howard, like he knew him from Howard Stern. I That's knew him funny. from death, so we both kind of swapped the uh, <laughs> you know perception of this guy. Um, but control denied. You know, we've talked about this before. The story behind that. Yeah. The interesting thing is because Chuck wanted to kind of take that whole direction of just being a guitarist. So basically, control denied's one and only album is it's a, it. I can see where the controversy comes in because it sounds like Sound of Perseverance with clean vocals. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you have... Well, Sound of Perseverance was supposed to be a Control Denied album, but it had to get rebranded as a death album. Well, this is the thing. They said that those songs were pre-written for Control Denied. Yeah. And then Chuck was like, I got to get an album out, so I'm going to use these songs. The interesting thing about it is it could make sense and it can't make sense almost simultaneously because just the music itself and then what I hear on Control Denied, I couldn't see that being a Control Denied album based on what their album sounds like. There is yeah. a total different direction in terms of like aesthetic. Like Sound of Perseverance, for instance, is very dark. Hmm. There's a lot of, you know, the lyrical content and I'm sure he could have manipulated all that for the instrumental sake. But even the instrumentals for the Control Denied stuff, it's... It was a different vibe. Yeah, if there's a vocal pattern to it and the style behind it. And, he's, mm-hmm. and also, too, the basses were different between Sound of Perseverance as well as Control Denied. Steve DiGiorgio did demo tracks for Sound of Perseverance, but he actually played bass on the Control Denied album. 
So the fact that the sounds are completely different in the sense of, you know, just tone and, you know, the vibes that they provide. Yeah. I could see where that could come in just because, again, the instrumentals alone, it's very parallel. Mm -hmm. But I thought Control Denied, to me, I never really even treated that as like a very successful project just because, you know, it was short-lived due to Chuck, you know, passing away from, you know, the cancer and everything. And again, it's one of those projects, though, where if I'm listening to Death, I have to like recommend that to somebody because anything Chuck's ever been a part of just because of how talented he is. It it is one of those things after you've listened to every death album that if you just want to hear more by this individual, like control denied is that next thing to recommend, especially when you can see where his career was headed. Exactly. It's an important piece of that entire timeline. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the part of the story. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not a super giant fan of um, Control Denied. Yeah, they're probably not even making my top 200. They're, they're like that ever. genre, dude, where it's like... It's prog metal. Yeah, like, it, it's cool. It's got its place. It's heavy, yeah. but not heavy enough for me. Put it this way. I'd rather have isolated tracks. The vocals don't do it for me. Oh, I'd no. rather just have isolated He's, tracks. You know, I'm not talking bad about Chuck by any means, but he's kind of like in like a the mountain shouting to uh, Rob Halford with control denied. No, it's a different singer, huh? Totally different singer. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. He's on. <laughs> even I would take Tim the Ripper over him. <laughs> Tim Owens. Yeah, who was on those brief Judas Priest albums? Then he went over to Ingvae's Rising Force. Yep. Yeah, this guy. I don't know what Chuck was doing. You want to talk about a dude that was like, you know, if you ain't good enough. Fact that he let this guy sing for his band. I thought Chuck was the vocalist. No, control denied. No. He sung on Fragile, uh, uh, Frayed, uh, whatever it was. Who? Fragments. Chuck. Yeah, I'll tell you right now who the vocalist was. Chuck sang on something. Here we go. Tim Amar. Tim Amar. He's best known for singing with Philadelphia prog metal band, Pharaoh. Huh. Oh, he's still alive. Let's see if we can get him in for an interview. That would be cool. How was it work with Chuck Schuldner? He's from Philly. Born in Pittsburgh. All right, we're going to have to get in touch with him. Yeah. So, yeah, Tim Amar. Tim Amar. <laughs> he doesn't really even have much background. He must have been friends with Chuck or something. I don't know what the backstory is there, really, with that. It was probably within, you know, like, touring and shit. Probably just you come across people and... Doesn't do it for me, though. No. Not, it's not my brand. No. Not a, not a giant fan. Guitar work, though? Oh, yeah, excellent. You, you can't you can't deny anything that Chuck does with guitar. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, Chuck's the Johnny Walker blue of uh guitar work. <laughs> top shelf top top shelf scotch. Well, unfortunately I'm more of a red label guy myself. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I'm saying <laughs> if you have the opportunity to take some blue label, yeah. <laughs> go for it. Why not? Like, no, please don't. Like someone's like, yo, I'll buy you any drink here at the bar. <laughs> You're not being like, let me get the red label. Yeah, exactly. you have an opportunity to get a fifty dollars <laughs> shot of Blue Label for free. Why not? Exactly. <laughs> um, another band I want to talk about, obviously, uh, part of my new interesting is Gorillas. Yes, I remember where I found or where I stumbled back into Gorillas. It was the rapper that performed on the Clint Eastwood song, um, something the the Homo Sapien. You know who I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, he did it. Uh, he did an interview with Vlad TV, who I follow on YouTube, and um, the the title of the video was "Why He Didn't Want to Do Clint Eastwood," and I was like, "That's strange. Why would he not want to be a part of that?" You find his name or no? Who is he? Del the Funky. Okay, yeah, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Yep, there we go. Also known as Teron Davion. Or Teron Delvon Jones. Yeah, he's the rapper on yeah. Clint Eastwood. And um, like I said, I I fell down the YouTube rabbit hole. Like our conversations tend to go as well. Exactly. Pretty much went into fuck M- We got, We had to slip in fuck MTV and fuck Rolling Stone here in the middle exactly. of conversations. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like, I feel like people, uh, people tune into this podcast for that particular thing. Which I'm going to let you guys know at this point in time, we are ranked 220 on the iTunes music history charts. And we'll always remind you of our distaste for Billy Joel and Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Dave Grohl. MTV. I still like you, Johnny Ramone, but dude, you got to go. I'm sorry. St. Anger. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. 
<laughs> but yeah, um, Gorillas, I think, you know, hands down, this is better than Blur. I know this was supposed to be a side project, and this would kind of be like you starting, I don't know, like you working for, I don't know, PetSmart, and then you start fucking, like, moonlighting over at Petco, and you build Petco up to this fucking Megalodon, like, to the size of, I don't know, Amazon. I was going to say, it would be the equivalent if, like, Steve Jobs was working for Gateway Computers and said, I'm going to start my own brand, Apple. Exactly. You know, <laughs> that's the time, what, Gateway was like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> good luck, jackass. Good luck <laughs> buying a fucking Gateway today. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I... Not that I hate Blur, because I don't, but... There are a few Blur tracks yeah. and albums that I actually enjoy. I just think Gorillaz has a more sustainable career. I think Gorillaz yep. is more versatile. I think Gorillaz overall is just more enjoyable. Yes. Um, but it was a smart move, because again, you have to understand when we're talking about all these side projects, it's like not even so much about comparing the current project to the side project. It's more about you know, being able to expand on the idea of how creative these musicians are exactly. to be able to create. I mean, cause again, you were, you've heard the gorillas, mm-hmm. you know, you've heard blur and never did you really put two and two together nope. and now realize this, this music is coming from the same person. I never even thought like, man, 2d and the fucking dude from blur sound alike. That's I never thought saying. that ever. That's what's crazy. Until I, Heard that it was him, and I, I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, my God. That's crazy. But it's also, Shit you think about musicians that, yeah, <laughs> I know, now you hear it, yeah, this exactly. is so obvious. But again, it's the interesting point when we're discussing this is just to understand that this is the creative minds of some of the musicians we listen to. Yeah. Because a lot of these musicians are very one-dimensional when they start their side projects. Like, for instance, when we talked about, you know, all the solo projects we mentioned are very parallel to what they were already doing. Yes. You know, when they started these side projects, started these solo projects. It's yep. just like, let me just try to take what I was doing and make it my own thing. Yep. You know, get a supporting cast and just write my own music. It's almost basically like a money grab. Exactly. You know, Gorillas, that transcendence is just showing, like, I have a whole nother piece of musical intellect that I, I do can't anything. do with this. Yeah. You know, I like, for instance, when we talk about um, a big one that we've talked about before is Arch Enemy. Yeah. You know, Michael Lamont being in Carcass, which was a traditional death metal band, he wanted to go to this melodic sound in the last Carcass album, Swan Song, was very there, and those guys didn't want to do it, and then yep. he formed Arch Enemy, so he could expose into that creativity. Exactly. And obviously created a fucking another phenomenal project. Yep. Another one I feel like we should bring up, too, is um, Phil Anselmo with doing Super Joint Ritual, ri- yeah, ri- <laughs> Super Joint Ritual and Down. Down, yeah. Now, I don't I'm feel I'm more like, of a fan of Down. Me, too. Yeah. I don't feel like either of those bands can compare to Pantera they by can't. any way, shape, or form. Mm. But that first Down album, that NOLA. It's good. Yeah, it's fucking Very good. good. And, and you can kind of, I, I don't know if Terry Date produced that, which I think he did. You can kind of hear like the Pantera type influence in it. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's be real. That would be like, you know, like in history, David Lee Roth starting a solo project and every guitar player you have is going to try to sound like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, of course. It, Phil started the band. You got Pepper Keenan and fucking um, Kirk Winstein. They're trying to sound like Dime. Of course. Even if it's like a tiny bit. You still hear but it But it's there. also, again, when we talk about this, when artists try to separate and create these projects, they're coming in with the idea of what they've been doing. I mean, it's very yeah. difficult to get out of that shift of focus of what you've been writing and your musical ability at that point. Yep. Where it's not so much you become one dimensional, it's just become like, this is my bread and butter. This is my comfort food almost. Why exactly. would I try to change? And most people, when they change, it's literally throwing a dart. It's either going to be great or it's going to be like, this is not what people want to hear from you. They have a certain level of expectation. And like you said, down by no means I could put on any type of fucking comparison to Pantera. But that first album, again, it's the same thing when we talked about Death and Control Denied. If someone's listened to everything and exhausted all their outlets with Pantera and you want to listen to something with guys that are relative to the project, that's something I'll recommend, especially that first album. Exactly. Oh, like you're enjoying Pantera. Okay, you've listened to all their albums. You want something more, you know, that's familiar. See if you like this. 
You know, and I think that's like an important part when we talk about these side projects is a lot of it is just the opportunity to expand. Exactly. Very important. Um, a shot in the dark too, I feel like is damn Yankees. Okay. Like that, that was a, a super group that was thrown together, you know, with uh, various musicians, you know, Night Ranger, Sticks, and Ted Nugent, obviously. And I feel like the, the I feel like the uh, damn Yankee shit can kind of hold its own against the Night Ranger shit mm. and against the stick stuff and mostly most of the Ted Nugent shit. Like, yeah. With the exception of a couple songs. Yeah. Ted Nugent is really take it or leave it with me. There are a couple songs, but overall, Ted Nugent for me, there's no albums out there that I'm going to be like, wow, dude, you got to listen to this whole thing. It's phenomenal. Exactly. Really it, there's album that. tracks, and it's like, that, yeah. this is very Ted. There's no albums. You exactly. Know? Yeah, album tracks is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, I think the one, too, that's really important as well. And it was an interesting side project, if you want to even call it that, because it was already a reformed band in the sense of, you know, what it was and what it became. Because we talk about Ronnie James Dio joining Black Sabbath. Um, and for a period of time, they released songs under Black Sabbath. Yes. And we've talked about that debate before, whether it was like paying homage or whatever you want to call it in the sense that they changed the name. But then it became that heaven and hell yeah. band. I thought that was like the most interesting one of most of these side projects when we talk about them hmm. um and a big one in the sense of saying that dio was doing very fucking well by himself between rainbow between his self-titled shit yeah i mean all the stuff he did with dio was phenomenal and then joining black sabbath like that was so interesting because the music that he wrote with black sabbath was very dio yeah you know like heaven and hell and mob rules total mm-hmm. dio albums and I thought that was the coolest one in the sense that you took an artist that was already well-established, put him in a band that's already well-established, and it fucking worked. Exactly. Like, that really doesn't happen. It's amazing. You you never get situations like that. No. Like, the Black Sabbath, Ryan James, Dio, you know, uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? Collaboration? Yeah. yeah collaboration. Yeah. That's something you'll never get ever again in Absolutely history. not. Like, that's just amazing. Absolutely not. And... You know, I do I feel like it can hold up to Black Sabbath? Maybe. I mean, it, it, it's to me, it's like the Misfits. Yeah. You know, it's almost preference-wise, because some people can really get down with Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Me personally, I personally like them. Yeah, me personally, though, I would take almost every Ozzy album before I would take the Dio albums. The thing about it is, though, there's a few Dio albums I would take before Ozzy solo albums. Okay. You know, yeah. like the the self title, the Holy Diver album. I mean, it's I, it, there's I some love, really good. And the thing about it is, like, Dio is one of those guys where we talk about a lot of albums where you've heard the familiar songs, mm-hmm. and then you actually listen to the albums and hear some of the songs that you never would have heard unless you actually listen to the album. Yeah, so much better stuff than what you've heard on the fucking radio. So much better stuff than what you've seen in music videos. Yep. You know, and that he, him coming into that project and then them being able to tour during the time of Black Sabbath's hiatus and being able to tour as Heaven and Hell is almost a total side project while Dio was still doing stuff with his own stuff. Yeah. I thought that was the most interesting one because again, how many artists do you know that get lumped into a band that's already established? Like it wasn't like Dio formed this whole new group. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know Paul Rogers and Queen... Shit like that. Didn't work. I don't feel like it did either. Yeah. Not a fan. (laughs) Not a fan. So what do you guys feel like as, as we conclude this topic here, is there side projects that we should have brought up? Obviously we're not going to talk about every side project ever conceived in music history, but what do you think? Do you feel like the gorillas is a, you know, easily, you know, comparable, if not, you know, better than blur. Do you feel like damn Yankees really wasn't that good? And they're just, you know, early nineties, butt rock that belongs on, you know, like one Oh six one, the Philadelphia, like alternative hit station. <laughs> um, that's the oblivion bin on the radio. Yeah. The oblivion <laughs> black label society. How's that stand control denied? How do you feel? Do you feel like sound of perseverance could have been a control denied album? Get at us on our social medias, Instagram and Twitter at RATM Podcast, Facebook.com slash RATM Podcast, and of course, our email is always open at RATM Podcast at gmail.com. But we're going to roll into our suggestions of the week here. My suggestion for this week, going off of the topic we just had, would be the 2010 
single from uh, the Gorillaz Plastic Beach album, Stylo. And the music video is pretty fucking cool, too. It kind of, you know, brings the Gorillaz characters into, like, the real world. And there's a cameo from Bruce Willis. And it's like a like an homage to, like, 1970s car chase movies. Yeah. It, it's a really cool video. It is cool, yeah. Stylo. So I'm also going to keep it on topic since I totally forgot to bring up this band in side projects, but Mad Season. Yeah. I'm going to recommend their one and only release in 1995. The album was called Above. Uh, so many good tracks on this album. The one I'm going to go with, though, track six, it's called Lifeless Dead. Oh, shit. Love that song. Dude, Mad Season's fucking awesome. That whole album, it's just, you have to listen to it. You want to talk about another part of, you know, Mark Lanigan, Mike McGreedy, mm-hmm. you know, Lane, obviously. That's just a whole nother. You can put that up there with any fucking 90s album. Oh, yeah. So good. I, I'd, I'd put that up. I'd put that up on par or over Mother Love Bone. I put that oh, yeah. shit up on par with fucking, maybe not like on par with 10 or Dirt or Nevermind. I could put it up there with Bleach. I could put it up there with almost everything Stone Temple Pilots has done. Yes. I could probably put it up there with everything Pearl Jam has done outside, maybe Versus and 10. Okay. But definitely Vitology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Above by Mad Season is flawless. Mm-hmm. Great album. So, uh, Never mind. You, you knew what I was going to do. I knew. <laughs> Our group movie suggestion for this week is to check out the 1992 Cameron Crowe classic singles. Speaking 100%. of Mad Season. Very upset that we never recommended this before. I know. I don't know why we Talk never about did. about Project Citizen Dick. Touch me, I'm Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, too, because like Eddie Vedder wasn't like known like at all. At I know. Point. And... Funny, funny enough, I mean, a lot of people might not know this, but the song State of Love and Trust yeah. was actually recorded before anything on 10. I know. And that was Pearl Jam's first release. And that's literally one of my favorite songs by I Pearl Jam. I fucking love that song. It's so good. I'm still so surprised they didn't re- There's put a that story behind 10. it. There's and a story behind it. I forgot. I something about the drumming. They weren't satisfied at the time. They they did it. They just wanted it to be a sol- like solo song and I forget. There's Stupid. something behind it. Yeah, because even the unplugged you, version is phenomenal. I'd put. I'd take. I'd probably take Oceans off a of ten and put State of Love and Trust on there. Hundred percent. Maybe once. I think once is a good opening track. Once it is, but I I think, I think as far as energy goes, needs for like that a song. song. That's yeah. like animal. What about but black? Better. Black's necessary. I think Black's more of a Vitology song, but it was necessary for understanding Pearl Jam's like creativity. So what do you think? Is Oceans able to be uh, you know, axed off a of ten to make room for State of Love and Trust? I vote yes. I think so too. That uh, if, seriously, that album would be hundred percent complete if that song was on there. Dude, I've said it's this missing shit forever. that song. Yeah. Exactly. And dude, it's so fucked up too, and why they didn't do it, because Alice in Chains recorded wood for that soundtrack and that appeared on yeah, Dirt. Yep. But they also used the money to record the Cameron Crow or the studio gave them money to record wood and they wound up recording sap as well. It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, dude, that's like the most fucking, fucking like worth, exactly. Right? That's like the most fucking like grunge shit ever. Like I'm going to get every I'm milking every cent out of this. Absolutely. <laughs> Talk about side projects too. It's like SOD. Yeah. They ran out of anthrax time. They still had time on the studio. Like let's fucking make a whole new band. Or even like uh, like the Mother Superior guys doing the, the doing the Rollins Band album, exactly. and doing a Mother Superior record as well at the same time. <laughs> so good. But that kind of concludes our podcast for this week. Um, if you like, you can reach us on our social medias: Instagram and Twitter at ratm podcast, Facebook.com slash ratm podcast, and our email is always open for submissions, comments, suggestions. Whatever you got, we can we can handle it. I guarantee you. Exactly. RETM podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you tune in this Saturday too, where I sit down with uh a secret revealed. The the mysterious Amazon album band. Amazon album band. But yeah, so make sure you tune in on Saturday to check out the interview where I sit down with the guys from A Secret Revealed. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, I guess check us out next week. Check us out Saturday. 
continue to listen to Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. We do this for you guys. Without your continued support, I mean, we'd probably we'd still, still do it. it. Yeah, we'd still do it because yeah. this is, this I really is fun. Don't give a shit. I love, I love doing this yeah, shit. This is fun. But uh, until next time, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. I'm Bill. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>